Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, last night, Garrett Cole, he made my he made my belief in reality waver for a little bit, like just by how unbelievably dominant he was. 15 strikeouts in seven and change against the Rays, a team that doesn't really strike out that much and has like a lot of scrappy guys who extend at bats for a really long time. Um, and he did it in the week following some very interesting, I guess you could say, comments from Houston Astros uh, principal owner Jim Crane who said that the team may or may not make a run at re-signing Garrett Cole, but that he doesn't want to go over the competitive balance tax. Now, it's been so long since we talked that I forgot that this was even a thing that happened in the past week, and there's been so much baseball in the interim. But I think something that was very confounding about that quote from Jim Crane is that it came at a time when he didn't need to say that because his team is heading into the playoffs, and you would think that he would want everyone on the team to be focused on the matter at hand. And then Garrett Cole comes out and does this, basically telling him to shove it. So my question for you, you know, I start every episode of this by asking you a question that there's not really an answer to. So I, you do. I, I'd love yeah. to set you up for failure in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, was this just a motivating tactic from Jim Crane? Was he just trying to get the most out of his ace? <laughs> Alex's answer Sweet. after this break, a word from our sponsor. <laughs> Some real four-dimensional chess that you're playing right there. I think you're giving the owners way too much credit, honestly. I'm just fucking <laughs> around. <laughs> um, I don't even. I don't even know what to say about Garrett Cole. What I'll say. What I'll say is like on on Jim Crane's comments, which I don't want to spend a lot of time on because there's a lot of real, actual baseball stuff that's happened. I know we're leading our show with Jim Crane after the first three games of (laughs) of each (laughs) DS. But the the one thing I want to say is that, like, I saw that tweet and in the... um, in the replies were, like, some Astros fans, like, debating over, like, how reasonable this was. And there was one guy who was like, yeah, you know, the Astros are only spending, like, by my count... $140 $140 million next year. So they definitely have room to re-sign Cole uh, and stay under the luxury tax. And the and another guy responded and said, well, actually their payroll is at about 190 which is a really big difference. And the first guy's like, ah, yeah, never mind. That actually is a really big difference. I there's <laughs> That makes it a lot tighter. I don't think we'll be able to sign him. And I'm like, that that's it? You were just like, another user responded with a higher number and you were like, fuck. I guess we can't pay Garrett Cole, the best pitcher in baseball, anymore. Like, is it this easy to fool you guys? Yeah. I'm, I'm stunned. I see why owners have gotten away with this for so long. The short answer is yes. The long answer is yes. It is this yep. easy to fool owner, or it is, it is this easy to fool fans because they're, like we've talked about a billion times on the show, they're so obsessed with the idea of winning on a budget. And I'm going to probably get very frustrated in three up, three down later talking about the Rays, um, but we will save that. We will not bury that segment too soon. Uh, we're going to get into a little bit of what we've loved about the first glimpses of these division series um, so far, and you know, then we're going to talk a little bit about what is the most compelling thing about playoff baseball in 2019. But before we do that, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And this is Tipping Pitches. Alex, playoff baseball has started. We did our regular season recap a little over a week ago. Decided we would wait until this weekend to to chat again in front of microphones because uh, it probably would have been too emotional for you to fire up that old microphone after the AL wild card game, and we weren't going to be able to get uh, you know a wild card recap out to the listener quickly enough for it to really matter. Um, so we are in the throes of. The divisional series. Do you want to say? Uh, uh, do you want to pour a, 
a quick coffee out for the uh, the Oakland Athletics 2019 season. Anything you want to say? Any like last little bows you want to tie up? I, you know, I just want to say um, thank you to guys like Homer Bailey and Tanner Roark for just making this a an unforgettable season. <laughs> I mean, I just when I look back on the 2019 season, I'm going to be like, fuck. I really missed out on scoring a Homer Bailey jersey. So thank you to them. I I also um, want to say how angry I am that the A's did not call up Matt Harvey because he could have been the X factor in an AL wild card game. And you know now we'll never know. Yeah. So, uh, so it's it's tough. It's Matt tough, Harvey. But I'm, yeah. Was going to be the X factor in the AL wild card game. <laughs> Well, it's not like things went any better anyway, right? Like, they lost. I know. It was a deeply, deeply boring baseball game as well. <laughs> yeah, it was It was not great. It, like, by the by the third or fourth inning, I was like, okay, all right. I know. I, and I it was just like two more hours of this. Dead in the ballpark as well. Yeah. I, I, I tip my cap to the fans who... I think it managed to hang in there for a while and the stadium was packed. It was, you know, upwards of 50,000 people and it was loud there to, to start off the game. I was really yeah, totally. impressed. Um, and I think I'm, I'm not as sad as I maybe thought I might be. I'm very Zen about it all. Oh my God. Uh, mostly, mostly because this exact thing happened last year and I was there in person there was a massive letdown. Oh my god! So I forgot I all about got, that. <laughs> I, I at least got to watch it from the comfort of my home without Yankees fans razzing me from behind. So you know, baby steps. Maybe next year we'll actually win. It's so depressing to think to think about the prospect of the A's having to go back to the wild card every year because there's this generational dynasty in their division who are just going to win over a hundred games pretty much every year and do whatever yeah. they need to to wrap up the division. At yeah. like mid August, and I don't know. That's so, that's so bleak. I'm hoping that like they can fall off for some reason. You know, kind of kind of in the same vein that the Indians kind of fell off from where they were at in 2016. They were so far ahead of the rest of the division, um, and they decided that they didn't need to spend because they thought that they could win the division without spending. And it sounds like that is going to be a a little bit what the Astros are going to do. I mean, they've already spent to keep most of their core together, but the luxuries of the Garrett Coles of the world that it sounds like they're not going to spend to do. So maybe in that way, baseball labor karma will catch up to them and we will have the A's hot on their tail. Although I will say, it doesn't really feel like baseball labor karma is ever going to go in the direction of the Oakland <laughs> Athletics. So um, I don't know. Um, my fingers are crossed for you, buddy. Is this what it's like to be a, a non-Dodgers NL West fan? Like, damn, these last few years must have been tough. Remember yeah. when we were talking earlier this year about how the Diamond, Diamondbacks might actually be good this year? Like, they could make a run for the playoffs? Nope, because the Dodgers are just there every year for years and years. And they haven't necessarily done anything with it, but there they are at the top of the division somehow, some way. I think that's exactly what it's going to be like. So if you want to commiserate, you should reach out to some NL West fans. If there are any NL West fans listening who are not Dodgers fans, other than, I guess, Austin Zimmerman and Giants fans, um, reach out to Alex and console him on what the next seven years of his life are going to be like. <laughs> the entirety of Matt Chapman's A's career. Jeez, when you put it like that, it's bleak, man. Okay. Yeah, that's tough. Uh that was the AL wildcard. Um, obviously, in the NL wildcard, it was a little bit more of an exciting game. Uh, we got to see playoff Max Scherzer throwing as hard as he possibly can and looking very angry. And I guess in large part because he gave up a couple of home runs and wasn't wasn't pitching as well as he might have hoped to. But because of that, we got to see Steven Strasburg at the bullpen. Um, I think moments like that are what I really try to like proselytize about when I'm trying to tell people to watch regular season baseball so that when playoff baseball rolls around, you get this extra adrenaline boost of seeing someone in a role that you saw, uh, seeing someone in a different role than you saw them in all year. So like starters out of the bullpen or I don't know, like, you know, hitters in situations where like 
they just have to do whatever they can not to get an out. Like you get to see these guys who you spent the most of the year with understanding like what their role was on the team, like what they were trying to do over 162 games. And they kind of just have to like throw that out the window. And when that happens, like there's a disconnect and, and chaos kind of ensues. And some people are like thriving within that chaos. Like someone like Steven Strasburg who pitched amazing out of the bullpen. And some people really, uh, I think, you know, fall victim to that chaos. So I pose this question to you as like something to talk about because, you know, we're not going to be able to like recap every uh, score of every game. And this podcast is probably not even going to come out before more games happen. Um, You know, what are the things in playoff baseball that really get your heart rate going the most? Like what is the, I guess, platonic ideal of a dramatic baseball moment in the playoffs? Yeah. And that's a, it's the kind of thing that feels really hard to predict or even like theorize about because I think what part of what makes them special is that like obviously they're unpredictable and you you just don't see them coming. There's something about uh, a winner take all game, you know, like the I mean, we could have a conversation about the the format of the wild card and just like how tough it is to just like have your season come down to one game, whatever. But like having one baseball game where everything is like on the line, you know, and whether it's a wild card game or game seven of the ALCS, whatever it is, there's something about like the stakes being so like higher than, than anywhere else, right? Like one team is just going to go home in three hours and we'll see them in March. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think you're, you're right about like these moments kind of flipping convention on their head, whether it's seeing like, like Madison Bumgarner come out of the bullpen, mm-hmm. you know, and just mow down hitters and, and that becomes his legacy, right? Like that becomes who he is. Uh, and I think part of the joy of postseason baseball is it makes heroes out of the the most unexpected people, um, and uh, and also it it lends you the opportunity to see someone like Josh Hader melt down on a national stage, which is yes. n- something that you know I I don't hate it. I, Every, everybody I, I don't, gets to watch that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, I think you led very nicely into what I was going to say next, which is that. I think one of the most dramatic pitch in and pitch out things that you can have in baseball is like a pitcher or specifically a reliever and more specifically a dominant reliever who just doesn't have it because the possibilities of what might happen after that are endless. Like he might just give up a hard liner right at the third baseman and they might get out of the inning or he might groove a fastball and Juan Soto might hit it into right field for a three run single. Um, you know, and that like frisson that's in the air when the like a reliever doesn't have his best stuff and you know that anything might happen from that point on is what I think I love so much about playoff baseball because during the regular season when a reliever doesn't have it, I'm like, sheesh, this game is gonna really drag on. You know, this game is going to be three hours and 40 minutes because this guy's not going to be able to get out of this inning and they're going to have to have two meetings at the mound and they're going to have to make another pitching change, warm up another guy, kill time while that guy gets warm. You know, all of that stuff that is like very rote during the regular season, I think then becomes the the fuel of like what we love to watch about playoff baseball. And that's why I sort of like to watch teams that have these very glaring imperfections because I think that makes for the moments where you try to see them overcome that in innovative ways like throwing starters out of the bullpen like knowing you're going to have to do that with consistency then opens up this entire possibility of like knocking down the strictures of how we thought we were supposed to be playing baseball this whole time like you know you think back to last year's Red Sox team they were just using starters out of the bullpen and they were like, sorry, relievers, we really appreciate that you ate innings all year, but like, we need um, uh, Nathan A. of all these stuff to play up right now, you know, over six innings of relief in the World Series. And that's what the Nationals are doing right now. And, and the most compelling thing about it is like, 
is this is this strategy going to run out? Is it going to run its course? Are the Dodgers going to be able to start getting to some of these starters? Or are we just going to get like the Nationals just keep going back to Scherzer, keep going back to Strasburg, keep going back to Corbin, like they're the the user in Mortal Kombat who's just using the same move over and over again and beating you with it. You know, you want to be able to see if like Dave Roberts and, and the Dodgers who've had this amazing season are going to be able to overcome that. And I think that like openness to trying new stuff because it matters so much more is why I love watching this, like every playoff game so much closer than I would be kind of passively watching a regular season game. And I think, I think we know this and I think we know this every single year and we come back to it, but then it feels like, you know, and maybe I'm biased because like my coworkers don't really care about baseball throughout the year. And then they're like, wow, baseball is amazing every single fucking October. But I I just wonder why we like kind of forget that baseball is great, you know, and then it takes until playoff baseball to really have that appreciation for the tenseness of what's going on. I think that, part of it comes down to just being so caught off guard by whatever is unfolding in front of you, you know, because when you're watching, I think you're, you're right about like the, the shutdown reliever, you know, and in, in those like really tense moments, not having it because it makes it feel like anything is possible. Right. And you go from, that's like the, the, the biggest swing going from here is a guy who is literally like, unhittable, you know, to he's the most vulnerable person in the world and the tides can change. You know, when, when Aroldis Chapman is facing Rajay Davis in game seven uh, of the 2016 world series and you're like, well, it's no matchup, right? Like Rajay Davis is a serviceable, but more of a journeyman outfielder um, who, you know, facing one of the best relievers in baseball who just sits a hundred, what, what could really happen, you know? And then he launches the home run to left field and everything changes, right? Like the entire world turns upside down and uh, obviously the Indians didn't capitalize on it, but still it's the kind of thing that I don't know. It, it feels, it feels weird to say like that just, comebacks are fun yeah but but also like those are the things that like i think get my heart racing the most in part because like and that's not to to like say anything about like garrett cole's performance or anything like that but that's like also an objectively good baseball performance no matter the the time of year that you're watching that, right? Like whether it happens in October or happens in June, you see him do that. And you're like, this is, this is dominance. This is absolutely unfair, right? No matter where it is, but that, that eighth inning comeback or, you know, when the Kansas city Royals come back against the Oakland athletics in, (laughs) in the 2014 wildcard game. There's a lot of grieving going on right now. Lots of grieving going on. Um, It just feels like this, the stakes are never higher. And some of this is all, feels all very obvious to say, I think. Um, But when like convention is just flipped on its head, I don't know. It feels like playoff baseball. There's just no rules, you know, like, the players who have been dominant all year long just totally collapse. You know, Clayton Kershaw has the nerve around him that he's not good in the playoffs. And that's not always been the case, but like he also hasn't been great in the playoffs. And, and you, I don't know. It, it just feels like it's a, it's a space where, where all bets are off. And that sort of uncertainty, I think drives a lot of the emotion for me. Yeah, and it's interesting to see how like the different factors of the stuff that we've been talking about the rest of the season are playing into some of that playing into some of that all bets are off feeling. Like, you know, you posed the question to me when we were talking about what we were going to discuss on this this episode, what even does compelling baseball look like in 2019 because of all of the things that have changed about the game? how do they manifest over short series? Like in, in 2017 during the world series, we had just started this podcast. Not that long before that 
we were talking a lot about the matchup between the Dodgers and the Astros and uh, like the kind of dominant storyline, which feels weird to say and remember, but like the kind of dominant storyline was still the ball, but it was that they were like those slick balls. You remember the yeah. the quotes from Justin Furlander saying that they felt different in the playoffs and that he felt like he couldn't get the right grip on the ball and he couldn't get the movement, the tight movement on his slider that he needed to throw it. So he didn't have confidence in that pitch. So he's just grooving a lot of fastballs and that stuff all still matters. And how does that play out over the course of the playoffs? I think is, is interesting to try to assess because you and I still very much want to watch baseball and be entertained in that way. But like, how much of these factors are subconsciously affecting what we're appreciating because the ball is just jumping off the bat in stupid ways. And when that happens in game 53 in a seven, nothing game between the Mets and the Marlins, that doesn't really matter. But when that happens in the AL wildcard game where Yandy Diaz just like gets the bat through the zone hits it opposite field. And it just kind of like just clears the wall in a way that might've been a double, like, four years ago. Do we think about that? Do we talk about that? Do pitchers have to adjust for that? Like it puts a hotter spotlight on some of these things. And I think another one of those things that you mentioned is like lopsided competition, you know, like that to this point has not really put a damper on the playoffs. I think for me, Um, I don't want to speak for you, but like team the dominant teams of the last three or four years, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Astros, um, they have not necessarily just coasted through the playoffs. Um, and it hasn't always been the most anticipated outcome. But here we are in 2019, and the Yankees are up 2-0 on the Twins, and the Twins don't really look like they have a chance. And the Astros are up 2-0 on the Rays, and with Verlander and Cole's performance, you know, the Rays might win a game, maybe two, but it doesn't feel like they can come out of this series And then, you know, you look on the NL side and like Nationals, Dodgers, I mean, the Dodgers are less of a dominant team than those two AL teams that I mentioned, but it's starting to feel like it's kind of that narrative is kind of creeping in, um, in a way that's like, I'm thinking about it in real time as I'm watching these series and it feels, um, emotionally like they're kind of over, you know, in a way that it didn't really last year because the, the Red Sox kind of came in and dispatched some of these more dominant teams, even though I guess you could consider them a historically dominant team with 108 wins last year. So yeah, and, are, are these things that are affecting your playoff watching experience? I mean, kind of, honestly. And that's not to say that I am not um, engaged and enthralled with everything that's going on, but it is interesting how... I'm like, oh, I've I've seen some of these matchups before. I have I like you were saying, the feeling starts to creep in of like we're headed for a, a lot of the same uh, outcomes that I think we have seen in past years and obviously anything could happen. And regardless of what happens, I will watch and enjoy uh the the rest of these playoffs because you, there's still something about watching Garrett Cole. There's still something about watching the the young Dodgers team or Nationals team or whoever that makes uh, playoff baseball compelling. But, but that newness feeling of is just kind of gone. Watching the Astros in 2017 was just like this rush because that w- they were just kind of starting to to break out and they were kind of the um hero to the the Dodgers anti-hero I think a little bit um and I don't know I I have just thought more and more I think and I don't mean to tread old ground with this but just about kind of what the playoffs might have looked like if just more teams tried you know like yeah. if the if the Diamondbacks didn't just trade Zach Greinke to the Astros you know, like if he was on the market, why did he just go to the best team? Like, why were there not other teams trying to get him and feel and like at least try? Baseball is so top heavy at this point. I mean, you, it's like, it's like I almost get 
now why people are like, the Warriors again? Really? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, now I get it. <laughs> you know, like it's like the, the outcomes, baseball is so unpredictable, but the outcomes start to feel inevitable after a certain point. And I don't know how the teams will win or, or what the final score will be, but I'm like, the Yankees feel like, feels like we're going to be seeing them next week. And, and that's all. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just kind of like, what if we were watching the Twins next week? That would be a lot more fun, you know? That See, there's an interesting question from that. The logical next question from that is like, is it actually more fun if we get the Twins upsetting the Yankees? Or would it be more fun if the, the Twins were actually like closer to the Yankees in competition? You know, is it cooler to think about the idea of the underdog Twins like, beating the Yankees because of small sample size? Or would it be cooler to think like the Twins have a couple more aces, they actually do match up nicer, and they moved on? Because like, I feel like in my ALCS and NLCS and in the World Series, I do want to see the loaded teams against each other. I just wish there were more teams we could consider loaded. And I don't know, there has been this dominant narrative of like those top three teams being over 100 wins. And the Twins also won 100 games. Like, we should mention that. That's pretty crazy. (laughs) Uh, But those top three teams being the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Astros, and them being kind of, like, destined to face off against each other in the playoffs. And frankly, I think, like, great baseball moments will come from those players playing against each other because it's Garrett Cole pitching against Aaron Judge and these, these two you know, Adonis-like figures facing off against each other um, when it matters most. But like, I like you're saying, I do wish there were more teams that were a little more evenly matched where you could like pick a couple players off these teams where it feels like they have a glut of talent, a glut of stars. Here's the silver lining for me. We're getting to watch a lot of these this young crop of talent that's kind of been injected into the league over the last few years. We're getting to watch them really on important stages um, for the first times in their careers. I guess that's not necessarily entirely true. Like, we have seen Acuna in the playoffs. We have seen Juan Soto in the playoffs. Um, You know, we've seen, obviously, like, Bellinger and the Dodgers have been, like, a bunch of times and stuff, and the Astros have a ton of playoff experience for how young their roster actually is. But I feel like, at this point, like, these young stars are the dominant storyline because they are now the most important players on their teams. Like no holds barred. Like you can't, you can't make the argument that Juan Soto is second in the spotlight behind Bryce Harper anymore. Cause Bryce Harper's not there. You can't make the argument that Acuna is not the most important player on the Braves anymore because this is his first year on the team and he's still establishing himself. Like he is just their most important and their best player. All respect to Freddie Freeman and, you know, Mike Fultonevich or whoever is going to go out and throw a gem for the Braves for some reason that I can't understand still. Mike Soroka, like the the young pitchers and stuff like that. But it's Acuna and and Albies. And I think, at least for me, the thing that I'm taking the most joy in is getting to watch these all these guys who are like under 30. And I know I'm going to get to experience over the next 10 years of watching baseball and however long of us doing this podcast together where we're just going to be it's going to be the 2020 playoffs or the 2021 playoffs. And we're going to be like, fuck man, Juan Soto still working pitchers, still looking confident as ever. He's still two years younger than me or three years younger than me. And that makes me sad, but what a joy to watch this guy. Just, uh, you know, just not be intimidated by some of the best relievers in baseball and come up in the biggest spot, you know? So all of the like anxiety about the ball and the dominant teams and stuff like that, For me, at least, I'm like, okay, well, the other side of that coin is like, we get to have these young stars, and hopefully they don't all end up concentrated wearing Yankees pinstripes in three years. Yeah, and I think that's kind of why the a lot of the National League matchups are really compelling to me right now, because Clayton Kershaw has the cracks in his armor, right? And Kenley Jansen is not the best closer in baseball anymore and the nationals don't have Bryce Harper. So it's like all these like really good fun teams have like some sort of uh, 
Achilles heel. Or, or even you were like texting me the other day talking about how the Nationals only have one lefty reliever, which is an insane thing to think about. And on <laughs> the one hand, malpractice I, in team building. <laughs> I don't think you're going to get anyone, any new fan, like really excited over the fact that the Nationals only have one lefty reliever. But it also is just this kind of weird twist that says this is going to come into play at some point, right? Like Murphy's law of weird <laughs> baseball is that like if something like like that, like that that thing that you're not planning for will play out, whether you like it or not, right? Um and so I think you're right about I don't the the young stars bringing this sort of electricity to it really takes it to a whole other level. I mean, just being able to kind of see watching the Braves really start to like come into their own is a, an extremely exciting thing to watch. And maybe in three years, like we have Braves fatigue. I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, circling back to where we started this conversation, knowing that like it's not all going to play out just how it looks on paper. Like the Yankees look really good and the Astros look really good because they are, but like weird shit's going to happen. It will. A ball's going to go under Trent Grisham's glove and the series is going to be flipped on its head. And the fact that like we can't sit here and predict that on the podcast, I think is the reason that, you know, I'll keep tuning in. Yes. I was saying to someone the other day, I was like, you know, the thing that I like about baseball is that you don't really get to make your own fate. And uh, it feels like there's something larger at play all the time. And that can be incredibly frustrating when you're a fan of the team. It can be incredibly frustrating if you're the type of person who just likes to have the most analytical outcome at all times. But I feel like baseball, you don't get to have that. You don't just get to draw up a play for LeBron. You don't get to decide that he's going to run pick and roll for the entire fourth quarter. Like you have to have you have to have Avisail Garcia up and he might have to hit a home run. You just can't necessarily predict like who is going to matter the most at the very end just because it's like a different style of sport and the playoffs is a, a an extreme example of that. Um all right, now that we're done a very long-winded way of saying that we like playoff baseball. <laughs> Why don't we uh, take a take a break and come back and do three up, three down playoff edition? Okay. If you are still sticking around through us talking about how great playoff baseball is, hopefully maybe you are watching playoff baseball by listening to this. We are now going to do three up, three down, the segment that we have been doing all of 2019. Alex, kick us off. What is coming off your list of the nine things you are thinking the most about in the baseball world this week? All right. Coming off my list this week, um, first off my list is... Marcus Simeon, and I guess by extension, the Oakland Athletics, who you could argue have been on my list all year long because I'm a fan of the team and I was rooting for them to do well in the playoffs. And uh, and they went one and done. So I haven't thought about them a lot in the last few days because their season's over, but they're still in my heart. They're, and they're in the year-round season of my of my heart that's a phrase of love because i because <laughs> i like them um the season gonna, never ends on my oakland days fandom yeah it does now i'm going to transition into talking about my next thing off my list um <laughs> next off my list it's getting really is, meta <laughs> um my uh my reflection on joe davis and vin scully and broadcasters um, being engaged with baseball. I'm sure this is something that will come up later in the postseason as we have Sheesh. to hear more and more of John Smoltz. Um, but for now, I, uh, I, I'll i just tip my hat to Vin Scully, who also happens to live in the season-long 
love light of my heart. Last, we got to punch uh, that up. We got to think uh, of a better name for that. I know, I know, we really do. Last off my list: <laughs> Twins band shirts. I don't have much more to say on it, but if Max Kepler wants to choose the net songs for this podcast, shoot us a DM. Let me know. Hit us with some Smiths. Maybe uh, hit us with the Cure. If you want to throw some cure, cure on there. Velvet Underground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just uh, honestly, only Elliot Smith songs this oh, podcast. No. Sorry. We just want to cry. Make us cry, Max Kepler. After the Twins get swept by the Yankees, maybe Max Kepler can come on and talk about his his music fandom. Uh, with <laughs> the us, soft boy, we need. Can you what imagine a- us? Like, can you imagine us emailing Twins PR, being like, "So, we want to get Max Kepler, not to talk about the Yankee series, not to talk about his 2019, not to t- even talk about the Twins at all. Really, we want him to come on and talk about Elliot Smith. Do you think Twins PR would be like sick? We gotta forward <laughs> this to Kepler." <laughs> I don't know about Max Kepler specifically, but I'm certain that there are like at least two or three players in baseball who would be down as hell to do that sort of thing. And I think it's our task to uh, to find out who that is. Like <laughs> Sean, like Sean Doolittle, come talk metal on tipping pitches, please. Coming up next, we got a phoner with Max Kepler. We're going to talk a little Elliot Smith, maybe some Smiths. <laughs> I don't know. Might even get into the cure. Back after this with tipping pitches, the music hour. The honestly, the content that we deserve. I don't know. Okay. We haven't earned that yet. Okay, what's coming off my what's list? Coming off your list this week. Okay, uh, what's coming off my list this week is fantasy baseball. Hell yeah, I'm done thinking about fantasy baseball. It feels good. How uh, uh, how'd you do? How did I do? I finished in fourth. Okay, you know i I sputtered out at the end. I was in I was in that championship bracket, doing good. Got eliminated on the one Hansel Robles strikeout, as I believe I've talked about on this podcast. And if I haven't on this podcast, I have talked about it on Twitter. So, even even more annoying place to talk about fantasy baseball. Uh, and then I just didn't didn't have the juice in the end of the season. I had my my first overall pick this year was Christian Yelich. So as soon as he fell and ball off his kneecap, bad B for for me. That's yeah, that's a tough look. Next off my list, Marcus Stroman v Yankees. This was uh, this was when Brian Cashman came out and said that Marcus Stroman would not even be a starter for the Yankees. He would be coming out of the bullpen, which is a weird move considering. Although now that I'm thinking about it based on the Yankees playoff strategy, it feels kind of like a compliment because the only good pitchers that they have are coming out of the bullpen. <laughs> so yeah. shout out to James Paxton not being that good this year. And then finally, that, that story with Noah Syndergaard that we all know and love with him and his getting to choose his catcher and whether he was allowed to choose his catcher, et cetera, et cetera. The Mets season is over, so I'm done thinking about petty Mets things. Uh, okay, let's get into it. What's coming onto your list this week, Alex? Uh, first on my list this week is the fact that Kevin Kiermaier clearly doesn't understand that profit is just the unpaid wages of workers. Uh Clearly, someone has to get him a uh, copy of Capital by Karl Marx because uh, he came out this week and uh, and gave a quote on the the Rays' success relative to their payroll. And he said, "It's always fun when you get to stick it to the man." To uh, to which you uh, um, smartly tweeted in response, "What man is he? Uh, is he sticking it to? Is he sticking it to uh, the owner?" Who just isn't putting paying to put really good players on the team? Yeah, who who clearly is just exploiting their labor is not paying these players what they're worth. Wow, way to way to stick it! To, I love to stick it to my boss by doing a good job and not getting paid for it. <laughs> Hell yeah, that'll show them. I really stick it to my boss by I don't even clock at the extra hours that I work late at night. You know, I'm sticking it to my boss. My boss wishes they could give me more money. They're looking for any chance to give me more money at any opportunity. Oh, uh, yeah. Which man is he sticking it to with Kevin Kiermaier would be a great NPR show. Just like dim the lights, <laughs> lower that volume. Kevin Kiermaier gets very close to the mic and talks about how Ray's ownership is stealing his wages. <laughs> That's a fun time. Maybe that can be on the Tipping Pitches public radio channel. It's just a fascinating 
sentiment to be coming from like a baseball player. Like fans love to spew this type of shit, but like for a player to be come out and be like, hell yeah, we're exploited. What you going to do about it? And like, I don't want to talk on behalf of all baseball players because they're probably all doing very fine and very comfortable and they're living in their own bubble. I'm sure they don't necessarily have an incentive to speak out against their owners who won't pay them more, but also like you, you can just like not say this, not say anything, Yeah, you know, like it's pretty easy. You don't have to come out and be and bang the, salary depression drum like it's okay well yeah this so this pairs nicely with the first thing that i was gonna add to my list the magic of production alex we planned a little bit here uh i have this begrudgingly i have this on my list but like i i am so frustrated with the rays and their stupid insistence on being the like tiny small payroll plucky underdogs and like the utter obsession with the media and fans over how impressive it is that they've overcome these terrible obstacles to get to this point and make it into the playoffs and they're so much smarter than everyone else because they're competing with such little money and I obviously it would be in bad faith for me not to acknowledge the fact that they have consistently developed players consistently swindled other teams in trades and gotten better players back while giving up guys that they were low on and had just happened to be overperforming year by year, you know, like, and they were the team that went out and signed Charlie Morton. And now he's amazing. And he's an ace. And they're the team that has developed most of the talent on this roster and, you know, did it earlier in this century with the teams that made it to the world series in 2008 and stuff like that. And we had Fernando Perez on this podcast for a two hour power hour situation. And he sang the raised praises as the greatest place he's ever, ever worked for. And, just a bunch of great people who taught him a lot about baseball and how to become a better player. I understand all of that. I just wish that it didn't have to always be framed through the wage suppression that they consistently participate in every offseason. Like they will not spend, they can spend more than they are spending. And there are nuances to this conversation that aren't just, well, they don't have the Yankees payroll. Sure, they don't have the Yankees payroll. They're paying like, a tenth of what the Yankees are paying. Not actually, you know, like a fourth or a fifth of what the Yankees are paying. They have, they can close that gap a little bit and sign a few more guys or pay the guys that are making the money, the franchise money and getting the franchise wins. They could pay those guys more. You know, all of the guys on the team right now are on a bargain contract and they're clearly worth more because of how well the team is playing. So I get so frustrated and it's such a disconnect because on the field, I love everything they do. They're very innovative. Their manager is very open to trying out a lot of the weird shit in the regular season and in the playoffs that you and I just sang the praises of for the first half of this podcast when we were talking about how playoff baseball gets weird, it gets different, and the Rays are one of those teams that is willing to try all that stuff out. Like in the pressure cooker of the playoffs, they're willing to look you know, stupid to the general baseball think tank people by trying out like an opener you know like they they were the they are always at the cutting edge of all of that stuff and everybody loves it so much and there is just a lot of shady shit that like just gets to fly under the radar because they consistently win and the Kevin Kiermeyer quote is the best possible example of this it's like this group think buying into this mentality that honestly, only helps the richest people involved in baseball. So, I don't know. I hate being frustrated over this in the midst of watching them face off against Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole and have have such a great actual within-the-diamond baseball matchup here, but it wouldn't be tipping pitches if we weren't talking about labor and wage (laughs) suppression in the midst of the MLB playoffs. So, what can I say? Yeah, and I think it... I think it mostly just kind of echoes the point of like, don't drink the Kool-Aid, you know, like, like you as a fan of a team, but like at a certain point you have to just recognize that they aren't just operating in the best interests of the, like the product on the field. And I don't want to like go down a rabbit hole of just like 
talking about like ownership or whatever, but I think it's important, especially on these national stages of looking around and, and noticing that like every team has some sort of baggage, you know, whether it's like, um, doing international crimes like the Dodgers did <laughs> or, <laughs> or like just with the boys doing international just crimes, doing international crimes. Clearly it's all the rage these days. Um, but you know, I think just acknowledging that as fans and like recognizing that gives you, I think at least kind of recognizing what you're buying into is important. So as not to, cause I think that there's like a lot of virtue signaling or like moral high ground that like, to, like a lot of Rays fans will be like, Oh, like stop not to speak on behalf of all Rays fans, but like, Three, you know, that I've seen on Twitter will be like, oh, well, <laughs> suggestive sample size there. Obviously, how are you know, don't dunk on the race for this. They've, they've, they clearly have a sustained track record, blah, blah, blah. But it's like your team is not better at this than any other team, right? Like yours is not the exception to the rule. Yours is, yours proves the rule. So I, I don't know. I'll watch the Rays and have fun and root for them. But I, I wish they'd gotten Zach Greinke instead. You know, I do know. I do know. And I think that is the frustration that I'm experiencing is that like the tough part is that like if you say like what if the Rays, what if the smart people from the Rays butt more money, then that equation on the opposite side of the equal sign is just the Yankees. So like, yeah. are we just rooting for the Yankees? Like big money <laughs> Steinbrenner fans over here? Like, is that what we're doing? Are the Yankees the most pro labor baseball team? Uh, you know, that's <laughs> such a deeper conversation. Fuck, no, they're, we, they're not. Is they're the not. Answer, but. Yes. And they're, they're definitely not the best in terms of like advancing, <sighs> advancing the causes that tipping pitches cares about is the most concise way I can say that. But yeah, yeah. Let's move on we're, before we're, we go down we're, that we're, we're opening up a black hole that we will not be able to get out of. <laughs> we're going to eat ourselves. It's going to eat ourselves. We're going to eat our own podcast. Okay. Let's nip that in the bud and uh, move on to whatever is second on your list, Alex. Um, second on my list is I, we we talk so much about heroes getting made on um, the the postseason national stage, and I just want to take a moment to appreciate and reflect on and sympathize with uh, those those moments of pain, I think on the other side, uh, a, a player like Trent Grisham, right? Who is the, the rookie who comes up in the latter half of the year and uh, does fine, does well enough to make it on to a postseason roster and has not made an error all year long. And the, the first one that he makes in the big leagues is to him might be the biggest error that he will ever make right and or or thinking about sean mania right who who comes in and gives up three home runs and effectively in doing so dooms the the chances of the a's right and i think so often a lot of the the hopes of of a team like ride on a on a very specific player at least in the minds of fans and it's so easy to like find the the scapegoat but I, I just want to lend a little bit of empathy to that because baseball's fucking hard. And I, I I can't imagine what it's like to be in Trent Grisham's shoes. And and what I just want to say, I think, is that if you're ever in doubt of where you need to put the blame, put it on Josh Hader. <laughs> that's really, that's just kind of what I fall back on. If we're looking for something to skip, tip the scales of blame, it seems like someone who tweeted white power and then actually gave up the hit might be the guy that the CL <laughs> should tip for, you know? Yes, exactly. Anyway, I don't know. I think that, like, it, I get so caught up in, like, the drama and the thrill of postseason baseball, and then I see, like, the disappointment on the other team's faces, and I'm like, Wait, I didn't Fuck. sign up for this. <laughs> God damn it. No, don't show me the sad players. That's not fun anymore. Also, if you're a camera operator or you're a live broadcast producer, maybe just 
just err on showing Josh Hader being yeah. sad. You know, yeah. that just yeah. just like take the A shot, please. You know? <laughs> yes. Um, okay, good one. Uh, second on my list, if we are ready to move on from watching yes. young stars look disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, never ready to move on from that. Just give me eternal pain. I know. I opened up Slack this morning and I went to MLB Slack and uh, every once in a while you'll get like an MLB Slack from an NBA writer who just like has not been following baseball all season and is just like trying to get up to speed real quick and needs to understand things in terms of like basketball blogger <laughs> with an, for lack of a better way to say it. And uh, I opened up Slack and one of my coworkers just said just pretty blankly, love him. He was just like, are the Astros the greatest team of all time? <laughs> and I think he was being like kind of sarcastic, you know? I think he was like, oh my God, like this team that just has a, a litany of incredible power hitters and contact hitters and just like a bunch of different options they can throw out of the bullpen. And obviously like this starting rotation that is just absolutely stacked. Garrett Cole showed off what he can do. Obviously, Verlander is amazing in the playoffs every time around. Uh, and I opened it up, and I was like, "Okay, he's kind of being sarcastic, but like, maybe who who's going to tell him that? Yeah, <laughs> they actually are. Kind they of are the best like, team uh, <laughs> ever. Like, you just said that, and I was like, I mean, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, am I wrong to say that? Uh, so, so Ben Lindbergh replied with one of his articles where he kind of made the the case that like they might actually be the best team of all time, or at least the best regular season performing team of all time. Um, you know, it's so it's so fraught the way that we interpret that question, but like. I, I kind of think like the answer is yes, and I just appreciated that that youthful naivete of someone who had um, not really been following along with the Astros' death machine this year. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's always fascinating to kind of witness other people experiencing baseball for the first time through the lens of the playoffs because it's a it's completely like not indicative of how the sport is played, I think, you know, like it's just a, it's a completely different beast unto itself um, because the, the drama is so high and the, you know, the games are, are scheduled differently and pitchers are just used differently. Um, but you, like back in 2017 during the world series and that insane uh, back and forth, what was it? Game five where, just every homer in the universe was hit. Like just all the yeah. homers were in that game. And like, that doesn't represent baseball, but if you've never watched it before and you watch that, you're like, what the fuck am I witnessing right now? It's madness. And there is a, there's a certain level of just kind of joy of seeing that. Cause you get like kind of brought into it. I think, you know, like even as someone who has like watched baseball very intently this whole year to just kind of step back and be like, fuck, this is the best team of all time is, I don't know. There's a level of just like kind of innocence to it. That is really nice, right? Like the playoffs just reset any understanding you had of baseball. And it's a nice, it's a nice palate cleanser is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, can I do a brief, um, taking all the way for our for our long time listeners, please. Uh, I promise I'll keep this one short, and that you don't even need to respond to it because it it, it is a conversation that might span like a ten ten more minutes of being added to the podcast. Uh, for listeners who don't know, taking all the way is just a, a segment where Alex and I came up with dumb hot takes that we only kind of believe and shared them, but we haven't done it in like I don't know a calendar year, so it's not actually really a segment anymore. But anyway, here's my taking all the way this week. Justin Verlander is the pitcher of this generation, not Clayton Kershaw. My hot take <laughs> artist out there. Are you? Are you? <laughs> I, 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 I know I'm not supposed to respond to this, but I'm like, I'm like rocking back and forth in my chair, you know? Like, I mean, I don't even know if that's like... That hot of a take? The hottest take. I feel like it's one of the two, right? And it's probably a coin flip because like, what does picture of this generation even mean? Yeah, uh, that's how you do it. You have to like say these squishy platitudes that no one can really counteract. That's yeah, the way exactly. that you become like, a hot no take artist. No one can be like, well, you're not wrong, I guess. 
if if we if this was tipping pitches radio, like we have joked about more times than we should have at this point in the podcast, but if this was t- tipping pitches radio, I would have led with that segment. That would have been the A block. I would have been like, "All right, Alex, we're here to talk about how Justin Verlander is actually the greatest pitcher of his generation, and Clayton Kershaw fucking sucks." And that's how we would that's how we would lead into the show this week. But it's not, and we respect nuance around here. But Justin Verlander. God damn. I think what an think impressive should, man to watch pitch a baseball. <laughs> I do think we should start doing more um analysis based on like kind of comparisons that no one can really tell us are are right or wrong, you know? Like <laughs> Justin Verlander is the wire of baseball in 2019. And people are like <laughs> You're encroaching like on the, the territory H- of my boss. <laughs> like the H <laughs> like the HBO show? Like that and people are like, okay. Uh, uh, I don't know, okay. man. I just think Justin Verlander might just be more like a Breaking Bad, you know? <laughs> he knew where he was getting and he got there in the end. <laughs> and you're just like, what? Justin, I guess he did? Garrett Cole is the Cersei Lannister of <laughs> baseball. I'm just like, oh, He just God. blows you away, overpowers you. The thing is, these are real articles that people write. So like, I, I can't even, yeah. We should just start a fa- uh, like a fake column bot on Twitter, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it'd be it'd be easy. Okay, your third and final up this week for the playoffs edition of Three Up Three Down. The final thing on my list this week comes in the form of a column in the New York Times this past week, written by Jack Nikas, uh, and it's called the The Beauty of America's Ugliest Ballpark. And the, and the subheaders, what does baseball lose if the Oakland A's leave the Coliseum? And it's a bit of a reflection on the, the A's, you know, search for a, a new ballpark and kind of the, the trend of what, what modern ballparks are, are looking like. And it covers, I think, a lot of the stuff that, that you and I have discussed before. Um, but it, it makes this one, analogy speaking of analogies that may or may not make sense to the the A's that I thought to the A stadium that I thought was really fitting and he says um talking about the Coliseum he says it all adds up to a baseball experience that stands out in the increasingly homogenous ballpark landscape if Marlins Park is the flashy new nightclub and Fenway Park and Wrigley Field are the historic pubs the Coliseum is baseball's last dive bar And that just felt like a very, like I never really would have thought about it in those terms. But when I think about it, I, I see what he's saying just in terms of like the certain charm that that ballpark elicits as it is literally falling apart. And it stands in direct contrast to the very thing that the A's are pursuing with their like waterfront like gorgeous ballpark development that is that has drawn a lot of controversy in the last week or two that I won't get into. But all that to say that I think unique ballparks are a really good thing. And even if the A's ballpark looks nothing like what the modern ballpark looks like, I think that's okay because there's a charm in uniqueness and something that goes against the grain and that feels like a little outdated. Like the Rangers don't need to be leaving their ballpark right now after 15 years. It's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. But here we are. I and I, I don't really know where I'm where I'm going with this, but I will I'll miss the Coliseum when we inevitably leave. And I I hope that one team, at least in the near future, is brave enough to uh to take a stand and say, you know, F the, the conformity and the ho- homogeneity of ballparks. We're gonna make a we're gonna make a, a Pentagon uh shaped ballpark, you know? <laughs> like just just fuck it. Let's just use something that's never been done before. That's what I hope for. Next on tipping pitches, is the Coliseum the most punk ballpark of all time? We debate after this. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It actually is, which is yeah. funny. Um, it, <laughs> I totally understand why you like it so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 very strange, but you know. Um, okay, finally on my list, 
I'm going to keep this one short because we have discussed this in the past. This has been on your list and uh, I'm adding it back onto my list because the Yankees and their fans brought it back into the discussion just a day ago or two days ago or I don't really remember, but that is Randy Dobnak, the reliever for the Minnesota Twins who actually opened the game on uh, in game two in Yankee Stadium and his 4.99 Uber rating and just the just scourge of terrible takes on the internet about this exact story and the the way that it turned into a flashpoint and how frankly like obvious it feels that this is a bullshit thing and like a shitty thing that he had to do and they're just like turning it into a cute story and i understand that like he probably had to like sign off on a, a lot of the ways that the twins are are framing it um like online and you know through their social channels and stuff like that and he probably thinks it's as much of a come up story as anyone and i understand that too but um it's not like this cutesy little story like it's not if it was someone else who this was happening to and he didn't end up in Randy Dobnak's position like he wouldn't think it was cute that the twins were tweeting it out so I don't know man like it's so funny and unpredictable funny in a shitty way and unpredictable the ways that like certain conversations and storylines turn into these flashpoints where like old baseball Twitter decides that they're just gonna dig their heels in and be like actually it's fine that we were making fun of this guy's second job like it's totally okay now He's a baseball pitcher. We can say whatever we want about him. And you're just like, dude, like just have like a like a shred more empathy for like the, the minor leaguers out there who are making seventy five hundred dollars a year and yeah. not getting paid in their offseason. Yeah. Well, and the reason it's back in the discussion is because Yankees fans during his start or during his open of uh of game two, they chanted Uber at him as like a as like a way to to razz him or, or get under his skin or whatever um this was rightfully i think condemned by a lot of people both in baseball twitter and outside of baseball twitter but it's also very indicative of i think the way that a lot of baseball fans probably see these players and see their struggle um and just kind of brushing it off and be like, oh, like you were, you, you weren't good enough. So you had to like drive for Uber, whatever it is. And it's just a very short sighted like analysis of the, the situation that he was in and also ignores the fact that countless minor leaguers take second jobs to be able to pay their bills, you know? Um, and it makes me think also like how much better Randy could be. If like the, the twins paid him a real salary, you know, yeah. and he was able to dedicate his time to baseball and not have to be an Uber driver. Um, so I I don't know. It's a weird thing to to like cloud the narrative of this postseason. And I think it's disappointing that people kind of let it get this far to the point where like it could be used against him, you know, like it's been a topic of conversation now for like a few weeks. And so inevitably we'd get to the point where people are like now making fun of him for being an Uber driver. And I'm like, yeah, really? You guys couldn't have seen this coming, you know? Like you don't mm. know your fan base well enough to know that like people would stop thinking this was cute and just start making fun of him for it. Ugh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I still see a ton of people being like, what a what a success story, you know? Yeah. And it's like, Let's just grab those bootstraps, you know? Let's grab the wheel of that Uber and just pull ourselves up any way we can. And it's just such bullshit, dude. But, you know, we've we've talked about this in the past before, so no need to continue to have the same conversation over and over again. Uh, I seen you over there, girl. Why don't you come over here, girl? Don't be scared, girl. There's enough of that in the world, girl. I posted up with my boys. You chillin' with your girls, girl And I bet you were as pretty as your prayers, girl Alright, Alex, we are wrapping up this recording At noon Pacific time on a Sunday The Sunday games are about to start in about an hour um, Braves and Cardinals are tied Dodgers and Nationals are tied 
the AL is less close. <laughs> the Astros and Yankees are both up 2 nothing. So when this podcast comes out, potentially some series might be over or uh, nearing their end and, and the narratives might have entirely flipped. Who knows? Maybe the Rays will come back and beat the Astros and the Twins will come back and beat the Yankees and we'll look very stupid for talking about the imbalance of competitiveness in, in the playoffs. But I, I don't know if that's going to happen. What do you think? I don't know. That's because, uh, Bobby, I don't know if you knew this, but um, but playoff baseball is fun because you just can't predict it. You just you just don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll refrain from predicting, but I'm excited for uh, for Cameron Mabin's inevitable uh, breakout this postseason, because obviously that's it's got to happen, right? Like it's not going to be, it's not going to be Stanton or judge. It's going to be Cameron Mabin or DJ LeMahieu. And there's no in between. If there are any fun storylines that happen that you feel like we should actually hit on next weekend, when we talk again, please feel free to DM them to us on Twitter or tag us on Twitter, tipping underscore pitches. Um, And I think that's all we got. Thank you for listening. And we hope that you are enjoying these playoffs as much as we are. And that you're, we wish your team the best of luck, unless they are the Cardinals. And if uh, if anyone has Kevin Kiermeyer's address, send it to us, and we'll uh, we'll get him a cop- copy of uh, the Communist Manifesto stat, <laughs> so that he can uh, get up to speed with us. I think that's the most important thing. Thanks for listening, everyone.